You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we have a good one for you. Craig Mish joins me, the man himself, to talk about everything in the Marlins realm and a little bit of harsh reality. We talk about some of the difficult things the Marlins are facing, what the future may hold, and the vibe is not great across Marlins Twitter right now, which is where Craig and I spend a lot of time living, and I know he was kind of reasoning with fans over the last day or so to not really make your panic judgment yet kind of wait until this schedule ahead, which is a very soft schedule with the Pirates and the Rockies moving forward before it's time to sound the alarms. But we also talk a lot about what the future holds in terms of what the Marlins could do, whether it's in the short term about a trade or in the long term about a trade or in the offseason potential free agent signings and what all of those things can be. Also a little bit on just the front office, how the front office has handled things and a lot of just interesting insight from Craig Mish. I think you'll enjoy this podcast. As always, it is just great to be able to hear from Craig and get a little of his perspective on things as he always seems to be very balanced and objective and even keeled, unlike most of us on Twitter where it is the end of the world. But honestly, I was pretty close to feeling like it was the end of the world yesterday. That was one of those losses that really, really hurt. So I'm not going to spend much more time talking about that. I'm going to tell you who brought this episode to you, and then I will kick it straight in to the discussion with Craig Mish. Before I get to that, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to see everything they have to offer, from engine control modules to brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even that new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need and a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Rockauto.com's catalog is remarkably easy to navigate and incredibly unique. Quickly see all of those parts that are available for any car, make, or model. Best of all, their prices are reliably low, the same for the professionals and the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for you. Write Locked On in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, and say it with me. They're all low in calories, low in sugar, low in fat, and what are they high in? They're high in protein. Some of the flavors, coconut, coconut almond, raspberry, mint brownie, just to name a few, and also the occasional limited time flavor. Every bar has right around 130 to 180 calories. They're covered in chocolate, easy to chew, and best of all, if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Finally, Brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag. It is a busy time in the sports world. You have basketball deep into the playoffs, NHL deep into the playoffs, baseball season is well underway, and there is so much action that you can wager on. Go to BetOnline, our most trusted online betting site here at the Locked On Network. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in on the action as teams get going here deeper into the Major League season. Head to the website or use your mobile device today, and if you use the promo code 
code locked on. That's one word locked on. You'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. That's promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. So without further delay, here is the episode, the interview with Craig Mish, host of Swings and Mishes, and also just the director, I would say, of Marlins Twitter. I hope you enjoy. And I'm joined by none other than Craig Mish. Craig, it's been a while since I've had you on. I'm so excited to have you on. I wanted to just kind of give Marlins fans something to make them happy right now. I know they're always happy to hear from you, and uh, it's been a rough go. So thank you for giving Marlins fans a little bit of a reprieve, and thank you for taking the time to talk to me about a lot of things we're going to cover all over the Marlins landscape. Yeah, I, I, I can't be responsible for making people feel happy. I mean, that, that's that's a lot to live up to. I mean, I usually make people feel happy when they're winning, but when they're losing, I feel like I'm the last guy that anybody wants to hear from. But uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, as always. Appreciate it. Good, good to catch up, by the way. Yeah, well, it's funny. You actually have a lot of responsibility. I feel like if the Marlins aren't hitting, people are on you to speak in sp- tweet in Spanish so that uh, you can get the offense going. People are on you to break the trades. Uh, you, you have a lot of superpowers on Twitter. For me, my only superpower that I get from the listeners and followers is that I, I'm a jinx machine. So mm-hmm. now I'm like afraid to even talk about anything. Um, I even was just gassing up Alec Manoa and then the Marlins got to him yesterday. Yeah. And we'll probably start with that ball game because – when I was watching that game, Marlins take the lead. You know, they leave the yard a few times. Finally looks like, you know, Marte's presence is back, you know, makes a big difference. Jazz kind of getting back into his groove makes a big difference. Uh, you still don't have all your pieces, but it helps. But then they, when they start getting close to blowing that game, for me, I know it's early, but I kind of got that feeling of like, if you blow this game, this could be kind of that backbreaker that sends you into a spiral. I'd argue that with the soft schedule ahead, the backbreaker could probably be these next seven games, but I do feel like that's one of those that really kind of just cuts you at the kneecaps. Yeah. And Garcia has blown two consecutive saves in game games that he's appeared in. So I look, I, I think that anytime you build a team with a low payroll, your bullpen is, is going to be questionable. The reality is, is that it's been fantastic. And so there's going to be different points of the season where you're going to lose some games. And, and they did, of course, there. And I think Garcia blew one against Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken. Or it may have been a game where he came in with a guy on base. I don't, I don't even remember. But regardless, he didn't pitch in a while. Uh, shouldn't be an excuse. The other guys who came in the game pitched fine, not being in games for a while. So, look, they're, they're, I would not say it was a, bra- a back-breaking loss because, as you just mentioned, and I think it's a very important stretch that they have coming up here where they play – against Pittsburgh and then one in Boston and then Colorado. I mean, you're talking about two of the three or four worst teams in baseball. So I, I tried on, on Thursday to sort of get that out of Don Mattingly a little bit because in, in, in past years, teams would go to Miami three years ago and go, Oh, okay. We got these guys. Like this is, this is one of the worst teams in the league. They just traded all of their big dudes. They really don't have strong pitching. We need to take three out of four. And, and I think that Miami should feel that way going into Pittsburgh this week. Like, I think nothing else is acceptable. You go two and two against the Pirates and, and maybe, you know, lose two out of three to, to Colorado. It does not end the season by any means, but this is not April anymore. We're, we're heading into the second week in June. And if you can't take care of business against teams that are inferior, why, why should any Marlins fan have confidence that they're going to take care of business against the Dodgers in July or just start mashing the Braves in July, August, and September. You, you can't feel that way. And that's the worst thing that can happen for the organization. Indifference. The last thing that you want is people just giving up and saying, I don't believe. So at the very least, even though in the back of our minds, maybe we don't think 
that they're going to win 90 games. It's just that sort of belief that if they hang around, anything can happen. And to me, that's acceptable this season. What's unacceptable is to lose 90 games or 95 games again. And, and we're, we're just going to have to see, but I do agree. I think by the time that the Braves series begins next weekend, I think we're going to have a much clearer picture as to the realism uh, of the postseason. Yeah. I like how you bring up the indifference point because I think part of it, when I look back on, on Marlins history and just my time and watching the games and uh, part of it where I look fondly on 08, 09, those years where I was, I was a kid. So obviously everything is more euphoric, but also games mattered in August. And that is something that we haven't really been able to say too much over the last 10 years, really games mattering August, September. And you know, that's the big thing. I think what you say there is really important. The Marlins don't have to make the playoffs necessarily to have a successful season, but to have meaningful games played through the end of the summer is really all I would want. And, you know, just to have a even outside chance where games matter, I think is the importance here. And that's why I kind of think, When we look at this now, right, where we look at the team, they are decimated in the infield. And it's not a Marlins unique issue. We see the Mets putting together some pretty brutal lineups. There's teams across baseball that are really, really banged up. The Marlins are on the higher end of the spectrum, though. And right now, they could easily see the season start to slip away. Six games under 500. Ten games, you know, if you lose six or seven of them, all of a sudden you're way in last and really far out from first place. Normally, you want to wait and see before you quote unquote buy or go to add players. But for the Marlins right now, there may not be a better opportunity and a more important time to go add a maybe a low cost addition that could help them in the infield instead of having a revolving door of Isan Diaz, Luis Marte and, you know, John Birdie, who's been really brutal this year, unfortunately, as well. And I love John Birdie. So my question there is. You know, is it a little bit too much of, you know, just like the armchair GM of me just kind of saying you got to go make a move because it's always fans that want to see a move. But I think right now it's pretty justifiable. If you could go get a Freddie Galvis and Wardo Escobar, it's not going to be that expensive prospect wise. And the Marlins have quite a few prospects that I think they can handle giving up without really uh, feeling it in their system. I, I, I know that it's unfortunate and everyone wants them to make moves now, but I, I don't see those happening until they get closer to the trade deadline. It's just, and another part of this, as you just mentioned, is that there's so many injuries going on that you also have to be careful about trading for somebody that ends up getting hurt in a week. Yeah. And then what was the point of making that deal? So uh, I, I think that in the Marlins defense, the way that they have approached the deadline and midseason is they've been super aggressive. Like they've made a lot of mm-hmm. trades for the future, for the present. The trade with Tampa Bay a couple of years ago, trading Nick Anderson to get Jesus Sanchez and trading for Ryan Stanek in that deal, uh, moving Trevor Richards out, getting get, getting Jazz Chisholm, trading Zach Allen, getting Starling Marte. How about in the offseason, getting Jonathan VR and then dumping him in July? So I think they're going to be aggressive and I think they are going to make some moves, but I can understand the need to do it now as opposed to in July, but I just don't see it happening. I think they're going to wait. They're going to see where they're at and then they're going to make the decision at that time. And it could be a trade that they make for the rest of the season, but it also could be a a trade that they make for uh, 2022. But look, the, the, the glaring issue that they're going to have without a doubt is because of, I mean, they claim to have so much depth. We really haven't seen that, but because of, of the struggles that they've had offensively is that as we get closer to the end of the season, people have said to me when I've commented on this, well, Craig, can't we just enjoy right now? Well, if I told you Starling Marte was not on the team next year, 
how enjoyable would that conversation be? Because I don't know that they're going to be able to replace that player next year. So, I, I mean, honestly, that may be more important than anything that they're going to do at the deadline, because if they lose him, they, I don't care what they say. They just don't have anyone that's going to play next year and, and is going to put up the production he can. Not in center field. Absolutely not. And I'm with you 100%. And it's really hard to find a legitimate center fielder that, that you can count on. And I think Marte is a great fit in a lot of different ways. And uh, I, I saw you mentioning that and seeing like what the contracts may look like. The Marlins, the good news is that they have $9 million clearing off roughly with Corey Dickerson. Right. We'll see if they re-up Jesus Aguilar. You know, that, that'll kind of remain to be seen. But they also will have a lot more money clearing off in other areas. Duvall, I'm sure that mutual option will be declined. And then also the increased revenue from the new TV deal, naming rights, all that good stuff, and actually having butts in the seats again. Uh, so those things help. Uh, but in your opinion, I know it's really hard to speculate on other people's decisions, but it seems like this coming off season would be the obvious time for them to spend money for all of the aforementioned reasons. And also, this is kind of the timeline that we were kind of given and expected was 2022 not to win the world series, but to start to really make that push. Is it a little bit too lofty for me to say the Marlins may go after somebody? I think it was John Morosi who came out and said the Marlins are interested in Rizzo and Correa for whatever that's worth for this off season. Do you see that potentially being a thing for the Marlins? Could they actually spend money to a degree more than just a 12 and a half million dollar option on Starling Marte? I don't think so. I don't. I, I think, I, and I would say this, what I, what I think that you have to ask yourself a little bit is the, the decision makers as far as who is signing the players. We can agree that Kimming now is the general manager, and by the time the offseason comes, I would think she'd have complete footing under her to understand uh, the landscape of the Marlins. Like, it was just a really like quick decision to hire her, ask her to know everybody in the organization, ask her to start like making trades. Like it was a lot. I, I think I'm still going to wait another four or five months for that to be established where she's been able to go to all the minor league facilities and see all those uh, people play. It's not that she doesn't have people surrounding her that know, but I mean, she is the GM. I mean, that's, she's the general manager of the team. She's got to be able to identify what needs to be done. So she's going to be a key decision maker. We know Gary Denbo, who's very heavily involved, is, is going to be the key decision maker. And inevitably, uh, Derek Jeter is going to make the call as to what he wants done. But the, the, there's another element to this. And you may, and you may think that this is, this is insignificant because of Dickerson's money. Okay, Dickerson's money in the grand scheme of baseball is insignificant. And I do want to add that Dickerson did tell us the other night that he's going through a very serious mm -hmm. personal issue. And I don't want to demean that in any way, but at the same time, this organization and the people that are in charge gave Corey Dickerson two years and $18 million to be a below average player. And so when, when the deal is approved, whatever deal they decide to make, whatever free agent they decide to sign and, and it goes to Derek Jeter and Derek Jeter says, all right, uh, this is what we want to do. When he goes to Bruce Sherman to get that money approved, what happens at that point? Does Bruce Sherman just say, yes, whatever you want to do financially, let's do? Does he question moves? I, I don't know the answer to these things, but if I am an owner and I am in his position, uh, I, I may want to say, okay, well, Dickerson, you know, what, what, why, why didn't Dickerson go right here? Like we, we gave this guy $18 million. Like what were we thinking in this spot? 
And I don't want to lose sight of every dollar that is spent has to be accounted for. It may seem like nothing, but you mentioned Adam Duvall also. I actually like Adam Duvall, and, and, I, and, I, and I still think that there's a chance that he comes back. His defense has been really good, and he's shown that he can carry a team for a week or two, and then he just goes silent for a while, but then he's going to come back again, and he's going to end up hitting 25, 30 home runs. But, but let's look at the track record of all of the free agents that they sign and the money that they spend, whether it's a dollar or $10 million. Do you trust the people in those positions that have made those decisions to spend more? I don't know the answer to that yet. And it would have been nice to see Dickerson come into Miami and hit seven home runs last year and 25 this year. And then they put that check in front of Bruce Sherman again next year. And he says, well, I mean, hey, good move with Corey Dickerson. I got to believe that, that I'm going to let's do it again. Let's give another guy a shot. I, I can't say that that is going to be the case. I don't know. I'm not familiar enough to know if that's going to be the case. So I think you have to at least understand that, that this, that regardless of how much money it is, uh, the ownership is just not going to give it away. They're just not going to give away millions of dollars to failures. And unfortunately, uh, Corey, you know, again, has had a personal issue, but the numbers are obviously very disappointing in the two years that he's been here. So to build off of that, so I feel like you got to go one way or the other, right? If you're not going to spend the money uh, and you don't want to pony up and, and I get it, you know, I think you make excellent points, then you got to go find some controllable young talent that can help you now and in the future. So like, let's say someone just off the top of my head, like Cattell Marte, you're going to have to give up a lot to get a Cattell Marte, but the Marlins have a really, really good system. If you're going to hug your prospects and hug your money, then you're never going to get better. If you can pick one or the other, I'd obviously every fan would obviously rather see teams just spend money because it's not their money. But if you can get neither or give up the prospects to get something, then I think fans would rather see the prospects go as well. The Marlins could give up a nice package, get Cattell Marte, in my opinion. And yeah, they'd feel it a little bit, but the system would still be among the better half in the game. And I, I think it would help them immensely, especially if you don't keep Starling. You have another Marte going to center field. That's just an example. It could be a few other young and controllable and cheap players, but if the Marlins aren't going to spend money, is it possible that they decide to pony up and kind of cash in on a lot of the valuable prospects they have? I mean, not all of them are going to pan out. I think it's outrageous to hold on to all of your prospects. I know they haven't had the greatest success rate, but at that same notion, I, I think that's part of the reason why you got to cash in on some of these guys and, and get some young controllable talent. I think it's more realistic what you're describing there. I, I would not rule out them signing a free agent to a, a very similar Dick, uh, Dickerson deal, but I don't see them signing anyone to 50 million. Like I just, I, I just don't see it right. And it may happen in the future, but I, I think that some trust and some success is going to have to be built up in free agency before that, that, before that happens. But as far as trades are concerned, Outside of, of, of Christian Yelich's trade, I, I think all of their trades have been pretty good. Mm -hmm. So I, I could see that happening. It getting again, getting to Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter saying yes, then getting it, you know, in, in concert and approved with the ownership. Yes, I could see all of those things happening. As far as I don't know the names, I didn't have, listen. No, who, did anybody have Starling Marte on their radar last July? No. So we can come up with all of these names and options, but th they'll have some some players, and, mm -hmm. and it seems realistic to think that they could go to a struggling team and pick up someone that that could be an everyday player, but they need more big league players in the infield. They need more big league players in the outfield. And, <laughs> and I know that they have some that look like they're on the way and they could very well be successful, but you can't bank on that at this point. I mean, and learn that the it, hard way. Yeah. And offensively, 
outside of Jazz Chisholm, have they had anyone that has come up that has had a very high level of quick success? I'm seeing it around the league with every team. Every team calls up someone. The guy comes, hits three home runs in the first week. Wow, congratulations. Marlins just haven't had that guy. Mm-hmm. So maybe they will. Maybe maybe it's going to come this year. Maybe this time around, Jesus Sanchez is good. Maybe Peyton Burdick is that guy. Maybe J.J. Blade is that guy. I don't know the answer to that. But it, it would it would seem to be what you're des- what you're describing is the way to go about it. You know, like for as an example, they drafted Braxton Garrett a few years ago. And, and I think Garrett may end up being a very good uh, big league pitcher. But I mean, aren't you a little curious why they haven't called him up and they're not using him all the time in the big leagues? Well, I mean, maybe Braxton Garrett isn't as good as we think he is. But, you know, you don't have to call him up and show everybody that, yeah. <laughs> you know, you may you may you may have him dominate in the minors and then you may trade him. You know, you may you may call up this guy, Humberto Mejia, who nobody's ever heard of. He may pitch well once and then you call the Diamondbacks and say, hey, what do you think about this guy? And they say yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, those are just some things to to consider and think about. And it's no knock on, on Braxton Garrett or anyone else. But that that's just another part of this game that that's going on now with some of these prospects that you have to be really careful because once they show at the big league level, that they are not ready. What are they really worth? Like, what is Nick Nider really worth? Okay. What was he worth two years ago? Maybe a lot, right? Ooh, Nick yeah. Nider, good, good pitcher, minor leaguer, could be a four star. Now, would, would, would anybody be interested in him? I don't think so. No, probably not. And I think, I think that's an excellent point. And I want to kind of shift now to the, the present uh, because, like we said, this, this season's still really early. There's still only six games under 500 and a nice stretch here. They could be flirting with 500 all over again. What do you think has to happen outside the obvious, right? You have to hit more and pitch well, but in terms of just specific things with this team, uh, what do you need to see come together over this next stretch here for them to stay afloat? Because I think they are asking a lot of Jose Devers and Luis Marte. And the fact that Isan Diaz is still on this active roster kind of is beyond me, but you know, they're asking a lot of these guys, do those guys just need to play out of their minds? What, what needs to happen for this team to, you know, be able to kind of climb back to where they were and stay afloat. I kind of call it just treading water until you get the reinforcements back. We know when this team's fully healthy, that they're, they're a 500 or better ball club. I think they can be if they're fully healthy and playing, you know, the way they can play. Uh, But you know, that's not the case right now. What needs to happen other than getting healthy? Well, they, they like if they're pitching on a if they're pitching on a scale of one to 10 has been an eight, their hitting is a two. Mm-hmm. And that two has got to get to five or six very quickly because the I, I personally don't think that it is sustainable to see these pitching performances over the course of the whole season. I, I don't I, I think that you're asking a lot of innings on on Sandy Alcantara, who can do it and Pablo Lopez, who I think can do it. But Trevor Rogers is not throwing 200 innings this year, and that's the pace. So at some point, he's going to stop, and and they're going to make sure of that. Now, I don't know if that comes in September or if that comes in August or all of a sudden one day they just decide we're going to give him a two-week break. But the offense has got to get going quick because they're going to have to carry the team for a little while, and they've done nothing the entire season. So, yeah, they made that a game or two where, where they've exploded, and – I'm, I'm, by the way, not bought in on the Buffalo game the other night. I mean, that shot that Jazz hit was up in the air and it just flew out. No offense to Jazz or anybody else. But, I mean, there's a reason why you hit four home runs and you only ended up scoring five runs. You still aren't getting guys on base. And, and I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just think that Buffalo ballpark is going gonna, is gonna to explode like it did last year. But they have got to 
start hitting immediately. I don't have the answers for that. They have Don Mattingly is one of the best hitters I've ever seen. James Rousen, who's their hitting coordinator and Eric Duncan, who's their hitting coach. And they've got to get it figured out. They've got to get all of their players hitting well at home. Aguilar has got to start hitting. I mean, he's been great on the road. He's got to start hitting it at, uh, at home. Cooper's got to continue. They've got to figure out what they're going to do about Dickerson. I don't have a good answer there. And I don't know. I'm Adam Duvall. I don't know when it's going to be. You can just tag me when it happens. It's going to hit five home runs in a week again. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's, it's, it's very tenuous right now because as good as their starting pitching is, they've only had one pitcher throw 200 innings on this roster and it's Sandy Alcantara. And beyond that, every other pitcher they've had has either pitched limited innings or has been injured at some point. So the hitting has got to pick it up real quick. Absolutely. And and speaking of that, a nice little jolt that they will have hopefully soon is they have a guy hitting roughly 400 in AAA in Jesus Sanchez, who looks really good. He's made some adjustments with his swing. He seems to not be expanding the zone quite as much as he was before and just looks good. You know, we don't know if that's going to translate right away to the major league level, but we got to find out, right? If if you're the Marlins, you've got to find out. It's probably a service time manipulation thing. I think based on his clock, if he's called up around June 8th or 9th, then they have that control through 2027. So I'm assuming we might see him in the next week or so. We don't know yet. But something that I've been juggling with in my head a little bit is how does that look in the outfield? You know, if you do call up Jesus Sanchez, how are you navigating that? Assuming everybody's healthy, you have Duvall, you have Marte, you have Dickerson, and then you also would have Sanchez in the fold there as well. And Aguilar playing first, you could also get creative with Cooper, but you got to get him at bats as well between first and the outfield. How do you go about that? And does Jesus Sanchez see consistent enough at bats to justify a call up uh, if he does get moved up? Well, Cooper has been their best hitter over the last month. So one way or the other, he's got to play uh, right field, first base. I don't know, left field in some way. I'm not sure. I thought the other day, by the way, against Philly. I don't know if you noticed this, but the most telling point of, of Corey Dickerson's season when he was lifted in the eighth inning for a pinch hitter uh, to flip around and put Gary Cooper in the game. And Corey Dickerson is the guy you signed to a two-year, $18 million contract. I, I was stunned at that moment. I, I know that Dickerson is not playing at all against left-handed pitching this year, like zero, but still like, wow. Like that just basically told you that he is a strict platoon player that in a, in the biggest spot, maybe of their season, they're going to choose to sit. I just, I couldn't believe it. I was stunned there. And, um, and I don't think Jesus Sanchez is coming up until Dickerson is gone. I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I just, it's, it's another left-handed bat and whether it's the injured list or whether it's a trade and, and you could make the case to try and do whatever you can. If you, if, if you're advocating for Sanchez to move Dickerson at any cost, I mean, you, you could make that case. I made the case the other day on social media the Tampa Bay Rays want to get at bats for their other players. What do they do? They call up Yoshi Tsutsugo and say, you can keep all of the money that we're going to pay you. We are letting you go. And the Marlins, and a cheap have, just, team. <laughs> the Marlins have just not taken their losses. They are unwilling to just say, you know what? We're, this just didn't work. We got to win right now. They just have, it, it, since the new regime has taken over, they have just not done that. Tazawa, I think, is the only one who they just were like, all right, enough. He's given up like 15 runs every game. We got to do that. So, um, but on top of it, I do want to put a little defense for the organization too. And just from my understanding and people that I talk to, we also have to remember 
Jesus Sanchez has not been the model of health at all. He's had a lot of injuries, three in two years, two this year where he's been taken out of games. So if he needs to play the entire month of June without suffering an injury, that that very well may be the case also. And they could certainly use that as an excuse. I personally don't think the service time manipulation is a thing. I think if they thought that he could come up and help them win right away and they were able to move Dickerson out, I think they would. But until uh, uh, Sanchez shows he can play 15 games in a row without missing one, and until Dickerson is gone, uh, I, I don't see him coming up. Yeah, well, well, that's an interesting point as well. And I think you're going to have trouble trying to find a home for Corey Dickerson with the money he's owed and, and his performance. You know, over He's untradeable. Last... He's untradeable. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the same. It, it's so funny. People think that the players are so easy to trade. But but this is the same situation they were down the road with, uh, with Sarlin Castro. This, there's no difference. Yeah. This is the same exact thing. Great guy. Uh, very helpful to the players on the team. Great veteran to have around. But giving you no production for almost $10 million. And, and, and look at what Castro did, by the way, in July, he went bananas mm-hmm. to put himself into a position to be traded and nobody wanted, wanted him still give him away. They said, Oh, we want to keep him and we want to make him our veteran and move. That's nonsense. They wanted to get rid of him, but they couldn't get a thing for him. And then, and of course they didn't want to look bad by getting nothing. So they kept him. And again, they just can't take the L like just take the L every once in a while. It's okay. No, one's going to be upset, but here you have Isan Diaz playing third base every day for what, you know, that that's, that's the last thing I wanted to hit on before uh, we wrap up here is, you know, what, what is it going to take? I mean, like Junichi Tozawa, you mentioned he, he almost, if he was doing it on purpose, it was almost like he was throwing the ball games. Like that's how he had to get himself forced out. Right. But like we're seeing Isan Diaz playing very uninspiring baseball and, you know, at the plate in the field on the base paths, I'm not, I'm not really enjoying watching him play to be frank. And then you have a guy in Jose Devers, who I think has exceeded expectations. Definitely. I mean, for what he's had to do a high a guy that played 33 games at high a, and just to get that quick move up, he's been good enough, but I mean, he needs to be getting consistent at bats in the minors, in my opinion. And then you also have Marte and he he's, you know, a journeyman. But when we talk about the guys that need to move on from, Magnera Sierra, you know, you know what you're getting with that guy. That's that's a fifth outfielder type that can, you know, replace defensively late in ball games and he can run. He's still young, but he has no more options. Those guys, Brinson, Diaz, like what's it going to take for the Marlins to move on from those guys? And or do you just not even know? Like at what point? I mean, eventually it will just come by default. Like it'll just have to be done. But it, it's look there. You cannot have a National League roster. Uh, and I understand Rojas and, and Anderson are hurt. That's part of it. But you can't have a big league roster where you're literally asking for a league that's all about home runs to have Jose Devers, Magnera Sierra, and John Birdie on the team. I mean, these are three players that are not going to hit you a home run. Three yeah. on the 26-man roster. And let's, yeah. let's not even put Diaz in that category because we've seen him hit a home run every now and then, more or less than than actually happening. But again, like three players that are just not going to hit one. They're, it's it, Birdie once every 400 at-bats or plate appearances. I, I don't know the answer to that. Here's what I know. They had no problem moving on from Derek Dietrich. They had no problem moving on from JT Riddle. None. Those were not their guys. Those were not guys they traded for. Those were not guys they signed. They had no allegiance to them. That's the only thing that I can think of. It's optics that they acquired the players this regime acquired them and, and they don't want to show that they've made a mistake. I don't get it. 
JT Riddle sounds great right now. Honestly, <laughs> I never thought I'd say that. I never thought I'd say that. But did even but they moved on, right? They had yeah. no problem saying goodbye. Yeah, it's, you it's, know, a year goodbye. Good, you know, this guy goodbye. But but the guys that the, these guys bring in, oh no 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 no, no. this is different. We got to yeah. let them you know play it out years and years and struggles and years and I. I so so again, that's me not knowing the answer. And, and somebody I, in the organization would say to me, you're nuts. That's not true. And that's a lie. OK, fine. But that's what I see. I think I, it's a great I point. see. I see a Christian Yelich trade with players that they're still trying to to justify. Would, if it yeah. was if it wasn't Yelich and it was somebody else, would they still be on the team? I don't know. Maybe they would. But that's what I, I, see. I think. I think it's an excellent point. And also Dietrich and Riddle had a little bit more of a track record of hitting at the major league level. And you but still they got rid of them quick. Players. Yeah, they exactly. got rid of them quick. So last, last, last question before I let you go, what's your prediction here for this soft schedule, this trip ahead? Uh, What do you think this team's going to (laughs) do? And um, I kind of just want to hear how you're feeling going into this uh, little stretch. I think they're going to win a lot in the next week. Usually when they're up against that wall of disaster, Mm -hmm. they usually fight pretty good. I I do think that they're going to come out of this. Maybe it's not as good as everybody thinks. Like, I don't know if they're going to go seven and one. Is it, is it eight games? I don't know. I don't know if they'll go seven and one, but I think that they will hold their head above water and, and still kind of hang around and, and be there. I do. I, I think that you're talking about the Pirates and Rockies and the Rockies historically have just been brutal in Miami. So I, I think that probably continues. Um, it would be nice for them to go, you know, uh, six and two or seven and one or eight. And oh. and, and I think that that will happen. But if, if, if we flip that and it's the other side, I wouldn't say the season is over but I think they're going to lose the fans. I think the fans will at that point go, Oh, like, come on. Like you, like you want us to believe that you're going to chase for the postseason, and you can't even beat these teams, the teams that are below you. So uh, something tells me they turn it on for the next week and then keep this train going a little bit where they're relevant. And that's all I'm looking for, for me, at least at this point, I just want them to be relevant. I want people to be interested in listening to my podcast, your podcast and, and keep, and keep this vibe of interest going because um, say say what you want about baseball. I love baseball and so do you. And, and you've been doing this for a while. I've been doing this forever, but football is the beast and the, and the hurricanes are going to start and the dolphins are going to start. And, and if they are not treading water in August and September in South Florida, no one is going to care. I mean, that's just the, that. Unfortunately, that is just the truth. Football comes and baseball goes on the back burner in this country. And it's just the people who love baseball that keep following it. But I'm not stupid. I've lived here for, um, you know, on and off for almost 40 years. And the second football season begins and the preseason begins and the college season begins. The Marlins all of a sudden become the second story and then the third story. And, and, uh, and, and that's just out of being it for people being indifferent on them. So I'm hopeful that that doesn't happen. Absolutely. And mentioning your podcast, anything coming up and uh, any episodes to look out for, for people to just uh, be aware of and anything you got to uh, tease? Uh, no, I mean, I think that we're going to do some draft stuff coming up. I think Ooh. that that's probably the next, the next chapter as that that's important to me. Cause I do feel like they have a great uh, person in charge there and DJ Svillick. I really like what he's done in the last couple of years. So I, 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 I've really, um, enjoyed covering the draft the last two years too. I feel like they've done a really good job. So um, unfortunately, you know, with players like that, you got to wait three or four years until they, they get to the big leagues. So yeah, I, I think that's the next step for me is, is I got to start focusing in on that because normally the draft, if I'm not mistaken, would have been next week, mm-hmm. but they pushed it back a month, but yeah, it's, it's time to start digging into that for me. 
Awesome. I'll be tuning into that. The Marlins essentially have two first round picks this year with 16 and 31. So uh, definitely pumped for the coverage and I'll make sure to remind everybody to look out for that. Craig, thank you so much as always for your insight and your just knowledge on the game and the Marlins. And I really appreciate you taking the time and hopefully next time we talk, it'll be a lot more uh, sunshine and roses around uh, Marlins baseball. Never fun to do these when there's a long losing streak, but got to get them done. Thanks for having me, Aram. Appreciate it. Thank you, Craig. And that'll do it for the interview with Craig Mish. I hope you enjoyed it. A little bit of harsh reality, but I also think a little too harsh at times. And that might be how it feels a little bit right now. But I do believe in some of the optimism that the Marlins will ultimately spend a little bit and make some moves come this offseason. We'll see. Hopefully, Craig is a little too harsh on that one. Generally, he's pretty spot on, and it's always just so great to get any insight and information from him. He's always a great guy to have on the show. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Again, hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.